0: What do you know
1: about Sid Waddell? Sid Waddell is a very famous darts commentator in this country. Comes from the North Country. Geordie accent. Very famous for the 180. And oh, also... very good.
2: Can you do it? Uh,
1: 180.
0: Oh, that's much <laughs> We like good. that. You're a darts fan. I do. do uh. you remember our darts episode? Yeah,
2: we've talked yeah. about darts.
0: Well, this episode is 180. Yes, Sid Waddell?
1: Sid Riddell, very, very well read man. He's, his commentaries are famous for being interspersed with classical quotes of this, that, and the other. And he knows a lot of stuff. Very good listening, really.
0: Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast from the Wiggly Sofa. It is indeed.
2: 180! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, little
0: things do tickle, don't they? Shocking. Anyway, this week we're going to find out about Ricardo and his curlies. I think he went out with Rachel Harris in very, very early one morning. Yeah. This morning. Yeah, Yeah.
2: indeed, indeed.
0: We're going to hear about Rich and Veggie Plots, because they're all going out from Wiggly Wigglers this week. All those veggie plots are winging their way to people all over the country to ready-plant their plots with... Veggies. (laughs) Veggies, in fact. All sorts.
2: Yeah. Do they grow? All
0: sorts. Chocolate. (laughs) What do they grow into? Like a tree covered (laughs) in sweets? Look, I'm the funny one. Sorry.
2: Okay. I think (laughs) I find you are, yeah. uh, I was forgetting myself there for a moment.
0: Silly old sausage. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on on the farm, Farmer Phil? Have you let the cattle out?
1: Well, we're getting there. Uh, Grass is growing. We've just got one or two husbandry tasks, a little bit of dehorning to get done
2: and get that all squared away. Cattle Did you
1: know
0: Sammy itched his head when he said dehorning? Yes,
2: yeah, (laughs) dehorning. I'm sure he must have been doing that when he was wandering around the corridors naked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you're not sure what we're on about, dear listener, do go back to episode 179 and have a listen to Farmer Phil in Aberystwyth. So rich, I know nothing about curlews at all. Can you give me the real basic oh, information? I... Is it a complicated subject? <laughs> <laughs> are no, they peewits?
2: Curlews? No, they're not peewits. Are lapwings? No, uh, curlews. They've got the, the most wonderful thing. I think they're the largest European wading bird. They've got quite a long, bent beak that they use for probing. But they tend to spend most of their summers inland nesting, you know. there were I think there was a time, and certainly, I think in the early 19th century, they were restricted to upland areas, but subsequent to that, they sort of moved down into lowland areas and started to nest and floodplains and things like that. But their fortunes have suffered dramatically over... The last few decades because of the way agriculture has gone and for a long time they thought that their fortunes they were they were doing better than other ground nesting birds but it, it, as things transpired it, it, they're a they're a longer lived bird so i think they can probably go on for like 20 years or more something like that
0: um, oh, an old bird <laughs>
2: so they can uh, and so people thought oh they're doing okay they weren't sure why they're doing okay but they but uh, but you know recently they've, they've realized that numbers have, have declined Dramatically. Anyway, there's a beautiful place, the Lug Flats in, in Herefordshire, that just runs along the, the River Lug, that's uh, the tributary of uh, our River Wye. And uh, it's an uh, astonishing meadow, big area, you know, there's, there's literally uh, tens of hundreds of acres, really, of, of pasture that's left managed for hay, you know, and grazing. So Rachel and I walked down there this morning to see if we could hear the curlies, because they've got the most amazing cry, haven't they? That really plaintive, you know, it's sort of curly, curly, curly,
3: curly.
2: And you tend to hear it early in the mornings. You know, early in the mornings are thing at night. I think what tends to happen is when they're nesting or when they've got chicks, they tend to shut up. You know, they're getting to probably the the latter end of the incubation period, or there may well be chicks um, already.
0: And, Is this um, Richard's
2: know, I've, I've and way out. of saying so we that hear, we are not we going to hear, hear. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the Kudu well, tape? <laughs> just, just now, Sort a of few weeks' time, when it, when it starts to get hotter and sunnier, they'll go into making this fabulous burbling noise.
2: When I've been up at the Hay Garden recently, I've heard them up there. You know? mm. and So there's obviously some pasture up there that they've uh, managed to secure. For I'm afraid that uh, we,
1: we used to have a lot in the grass seed. They'd like the grass seed crop. But I'm afraid that I'm going to Maybe level punches. the accusation at Brock and the Buzzards. Oh, we've um... heard
0: this before, haven't we? <laughs> Let's go and listen to Not the Curleys.
2: Well, we've just wandered onto, uh, onto the Lug Flats, an area, a fantastic area in Herefordshire, really, just on the outskirts of Hereford, uh, almost containing Hereford in some respects. And... Uh, you can hear the road in the background unfortunately that's a really busy archery now but I've come down with Rachel Harry's because uh, ideally we wanted to see if we could hear the curlews today but if we don't hear them then no matter because uh, what spans out in front of us is the most wondrous of sights and at this time of year where are we just coming towards the end of April it's littered with the uh, cuckoo flower or ladies smock we've seen all sorts of wonderful things thus far and Rachel is lucky enough to live within spitting distance from this uh, wonderful site because this this whole area is covered in water in the, in the winter isn't it?
3: Totally flooded, yeah, completely yeah. flooded but then that's how it was planned to be and you can actually see the channels that were dug to encourage the water to flood onto onto the meadows.
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely and uh, I think it's uh, one of the few instances where nature and the way things are supposed to be have, have been left alone because there's so many floodplains in Herefordshire that have just been uh, ploughed even ridiculous crops like potatoes plant, planted in the floodplain so all the all the topsoil just gets washed down into the river every time it floods but in this instance this is really left for pasture and uh, and grazing and of course there aren't any animals on it at the moment because the uh, the grass is being left to grow for hay and consequently uh, ground nesting birds like our wonderful big old curlews have a chance to, to come down and bring a family up on it. And they are conspicuous by their absence today, Rach.
3: But then you insisted on coming in the morning <laughs> and I did tell you that I used to, I hear them in the evening. Oh, and oh, I have oh. been telling you did I've you? been hearing them okay. for months. It was just I? convenient.
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> just my convenient hearing when you're speaking to me. I just... <laughs> I, just I did not pay enough attention, evidently. <laughs> but uh, perhaps, it was, uh, perhaps it was a psychological thing as well I and mean, I just wanted to come down in the morning because it's a, it's a beautiful spot isn't it it's amazing you know it's just an expanse of, of the most wonderful grassland imaginable
3: now you know that these are known as Lammas meadows Richard do you know anything about Lammas meadows? no
2: you share it with me shall I tell you I yes. might
3: get it wrong right. but the meadows are grazed as common land right during the winter, yep. from Lammas Day, which I think is August, perhaps, until February, or when it gets too wet, too wet, they graze. So we have cattle on here. Okay. That is, yeah, a couple of farmers are allowed to do that. So is Lammas Day
2: something just a marker? Is that is it? Is, is, is Lammas yes. the, uh, yes. the specific term for the for the day that marks the beginning of the grazing season? Reed bunting. Look, that's a little reed bunting, and that's an incredible thing to see. And that's what was cursing us earlier on. From the and tree. And that's a beautiful <laughs> bird. and with a lovely I mean, they've got a really reddy sort of back to them and a, and a fantastic black cap and a lovely white band. Beautiful little bird. About the same size as a great tit, I suppose. Ooh. And I reckon he's probably, his missus was the one that was cursing us and they're probably bringing up their family along this, this drainage channel that we're walking along now.
3: No, so like, right, the thing about the Lammas Meadows is mm-hmm. that when they're grazed, they're grazed by just a couple of farmers who are allowed to put the cattle on. Um, but when the cattle have to come up and it's left, the grass is left to grow for hay, yeah. the meadows are owned in strips okay. by local people. Right. So there's markers if we walk down to the river we can see stone markers I think that they're actually new and they've been replaced and you can see some of the old ones by the Nature Trust headquarters but what happens when it comes to haymaking time I can look out of my out of my flat and you can see that the farmers will take their hay from one patch from one bit they're not thin strips they're quite sort of wide strips and he'll make straw round bales there yeah. and then the next one will come along and he'll be harvesting on a different day right. and he'll be making square bales okay. and then the next one will make round bales and you can see how the different patches fit together right. because of who's haymaking on which day. Oh wow.
2: There you are, you see. And it's it makes an perfect sense.
3: It goes back to medieval times, this way of managing the land here, mm. and these meadows here are apparently the most significant example of lammas meadows in the country
2: Wow, well there you are you see, <coughs> so you learn something new every day, the expression lammas is something that's completely uh, unfamiliar to me so um, it's an education in itself coming down here with you
3: Now Richard, let's go and find some fritillary You're not looking I'm very hard there, for fritillary I'm not, I'm, not,
2: uh, I'm not looking at the moment, I'm just thinking how wonderful there's uh, there's loads of meadow sweet foliage along the edge of this this uh, the bund that sort of uh, just goes up to the up to these drainage channels, and that's uh, that's about pretty much. And in fact, what probably a months time or something like that, that'll be uh, out in flower. Everything seems—it sort of seems early this year, I suppose, because we've had such a most amazing April imaginable. But but things—I don't think they are. You know, I think it's just because we're, we're sort of pushing things on a bit. I mean, the foliage in the trees isn't full yet. You know, I mean, if you look up into these ash trees on the bank here, that just kind of breaks up what is the meadow and then the, the developed space of the. Uh, Hereford City, you know that's uh, they're not out yet, are they? I mean, the ashes just no. aren't out yet, so I think that's probably a good sign, you know.
3: There's lots and gaps, I, aren't there?
2: I think we might get a good summer. Yes. Well, let's let's hope so. But I don't know. Fertilities, you know. I spent a long time down on these um, these flats when I was a, when I was a kid. You know, sometimes when this area flooded, and uh, I remember one winter, the whole area mm-hmm. essentially. Probably dozens of square miles froze up. It was solid. Mm-hmm. So we came down and we were sort of ice skating on you know, hundreds of acres of ice. It was the most amazing thing. That takes me that a long time ago now.
3: You ever seen any frogs born down here? I've never looked for frogs born. There's a broken bottle down there, Bro- plastic <laughs> bottle. <laughs> well, That's all quite sorts nice.
2: Of scrap that people throw in.
3: But I've not looked for frogs born down here. To be it's honest. quite
2: deep this channel, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Um,
2: but it's the sort of place you imagine froggies would go. Anyway, let's, let's, let's carry on and uh, yeah. let's see if we can find these elusive artilleries and hopefully we'll, we'll hear a curlew in a minute. Well, we can't hear any curlews. But what you can almost certainly hear now are a couple of skylarks competing for some airspace. wonderful things, you know, skylights, you're trying to strain to see where they are in the sky and you, your eyes are all sort of starting to water because you're staring up into this really ridiculous sunlight and uh, eventually you can pick out this little black dot 300 metres up from the ground. It is the most wonderful time of year. I just think that everything about it is great. The fact that the evenings are still drawing out, you know, the weather's wonderful that you've got some Babies of every conceivable creature emerging. It's kind of hard to beat, really. Our curlews are playing hard to get, certainly, but as we wander across here through this grass, which is probably. Oh, almost eighteen inches high in places. Certainly, the high clumps to me, of uh, <laughs> 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 these uh some of the tallest stuff. You know, the cow parsley and the uh, creeping buttercup are uh, getting pretty enormous now. This is ideal nesting territory for for species like curlews. You know, and they'll they'll just hunker down in here. They 'll make a quite literally a scrape in the ground, and they 'll lay four eggs and incubate them for well, twenty eight days I think it is, and then those little guys hatch, and it's probably they're fledgling for about a month and a half, you know, so that's so you know you 're looking at almost two and a half months of serious danger because they're rummaging around in this grass. You know, there's all sorts of opportunities for aerial attack by buzzards and carrying crows and magpies and all sorts of things.
3: Not to mention the dog walkers and the dogs. Not to mention the dog walkers and the dogs, yeah.
2: yeah. And it's good that people, you know, it's one of the reasons why it's important to, A, to keep dogs on leads, which no-one ever seems to bother with, and B, to, uh, to stick to footpaths, because, you know, dogs would run through here and they could literally quite just trample the curlew's nest and frighten the hen bird off her eggs.
3: But that's a risk they take, Richard, isn't it?
2: It is, and I think this side of the uh, the low flats is probably more prone to walkers than uh, mm. than the other side because there's more opportunity for people to drop down from the estates states above us to to walk their dogs. Let's have a quick look down by the and by the river.
3: I like this curve in the river here when you look back and you can see the grass on the bank just hanging over like a shaggy fringe
2: a shaggy fringe eh <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Heather's hair
3: <laughs> no comment
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's gorgeous really mm. I mean this uh, the the willow's it, hanging down well, yeah and these banks on are here, undercut you don't realise, are
3: they? and then you look and it's all a bit yeah. And yeah quite cool
2: Yeah, that's fabulous and there's a mallard just dropping down into the river, up above us. The, 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 the mallard ducks, I mean, they've, they've got ducklings now. I've seen ducklings for the last couple of weeks, you know. Little families trying to keep up with their mother in a, in a quick-flowing current. Am I
3: allowed like to swear on the podcast?
2: Oh, well, it depends, I suppose, how, uh, you know, in, in terms of what sort of language you're, you're prone to use.
3: The bastard mallards ate my fogs born. <laughs> <laughs> I do that's perfectly acceptable.
2: Yeah, that's no, a bit of a downside to, to ducks. I do enjoy a bit of glutinous spawn.
3: This small stone here that looks like a, what do you call them, road markers?
2: Yeah, or that you or get a on a miniature gravestone?
3: Or a little gravestone here is one of the markers for the the strips for the, the haymaking part of the Lammas meadow. Now this has got 1994 on it, an HNT, which I imagine stands for Howard Nature Trust. So yeah. these ones are obviously newer. Kind of replace the older ones. These are dotted all the way along to to mark out the strips that are owned by the different farmers. Oh uh, wow! And when we go back, if we walk through the garden of the um, Nature Trust headquarters, which is what's it called, Lower House Farm, amazing old timber frame building, yeah. you can see some of the original ones along the wall. Wow! We'll have a look.
2: Fabulous. Let's go. I oh, mean, we've just walked back. Across to the headquarters of the Nature Trust now, and uh, and these, so "What do you think the significance of these stones are then, Rachel? Why are they all in one place? Do you think it's because they were sort of obstructing modern ways of uh, of harvesting? You know, maybe they've just been brought back here to to mark what was once present in the uh, in the meadows."
3: Well, no, because these stones have obviously been replaced by newer ones. Do you think? Well, you can see them. You know, we saw one when we were walking along the bank. There's one. If you walk along the bank of the lug, you come across quite a few of them. Right. Just several of them, every few hundred yards. But I don't know why... The old ones have been taken away and put <coughs> here. No. And the new ones there. We could go in the Nature Trust and ask them. We, we, could, could. we
2: could go and ask, but I think uh, I think we're running out of time <laughs> today. So uh, I think it's going to have to remain a mystery. But
3: these are the old well, I don't know what, I'll find out then. I'll find out. But these are obviously the old ones. I mean, that one says 1857 Wareham WC on it. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether we can actually make out modern, another
2: modern one. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a, um, a Nature Trust one. Oh well,
3: but here they are. Oh well, it's fantastic. For
2: some reason. Well, it's been a lovely morning, so uh, I suppose we should uh, head into our workplace now. Then to the office. Right to the office. <laughs>
3: right.
2: Thank you for that,
1: Rich. Actually, we've got curlews down at Campston, even though the ones here seem to have disappeared. That down at Campston on that permanent pasture.
2: Any it's
1: badges down at Caversham? Well, rather fewer than here. <laughs> in <of> report. But <laughs> yeah. in, later on in the year, when it gets hotter and sunnier, that burbling noise that they make when they're flying is the most uplifting noise. Yeah, they are the most fabulous sounding birds when they're flying. It's a bit like a sort of big noisy skylark, isn't it? It is not it amazing is. things. Well,
2: what we should do then, definitely before uh, this spring, or well, possibly even summer now, is out. We definitely need to get some curlew sounds on our. We ought iPod. to
1: try and record them. I tell you, where else there's a good population of them is just down at Madley here by the golf course. Oh, okay, there's a big rake of them there. All right, so we'll perhaps try that. Anyway. I've got some (laughs) feedback. Now, this feedback has taken some finding. Right. Because this is entitled The Wigglies and the Farmer, and it comes from Anthony Cumnick. Now, Anthony Cumnick lives in Victoria, in Australia, but for reasons that he's yet to explain to me, this piece of feedback is on the Canadian iTunes site.
0: Uh
1: Who knows? Well, this is my third attempt at trying to write a review, so obviously he's been struggling with this. (laughs) And each time my session times out and I lose what I've written. So four stars, four stars to the Wigglies and a one star for iTunes. Anyway, both Amanda, my wife, and I love the podcast and have listened to every episode and always look forward to each new episode. The show just has something for everyone and is at times, most of the time really, it's hilarious. Richard does some fascinating segments, not really, but the ones I really liked... (laughs) Yeah,
2: milk it, Phil, milk it, baby.
1: The ones I really liked were the Um, Terry Walton segments. As someone who is really just getting into vegetable gardening, I'm trying to soak up as much as I can, and you guys provide much food for fuel in this area. I have to say, though, and I apologise in advance, Richard, that I am consistently (laughs) siding with Farmer Phil. Yes, on all things agriculture. But don't let this little comment put you off, because it's always a great debate to listen to when you and FP get going, and a very useful debate. It's akin to city views versus rural views. Most of the ideals that you verbalise make great sense, but they are just that, and as we know, we don't live in an ideal world. We've now been on our farm of 1,100 acres here in Australia for just over a year, and I'd love nothing better to turn it into an organic or more sustainable, as I'm beginning to like the overused and misused term organic less and less. However, very few farmers in this economic and meteorologic Real good words going yeah, there, I can see why
2: he's run out of time. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, me.
1: Climate can afford to do so, and don't get me started about the leeches that produce our fertilisers. How can a company justify doubling the price of fertiliser, crying their costs have risen, and turn around and publish a 100% increase in the year's profits? But I digress. Hmm? I think a lot of farmers realise that we have to change, but the about-face that is required is much like the ocean liner, and it takes time. Anyway, this is a review about you, not about the farming margins being squeezed. But this just proves what a <laughs> they thought can't help
2: they? farmers they just can't help themselves.
1: This just proves what a thought-provoking show you guys put out. I very nearly gave you five stars.
2: Ah.
1: However, the days of our lives not that I watch Days of Our Lives, I assume this is a TV programme, type cliffhanging ending to last week's episode where FP's moisture reading segment on the grain wasn't completed, it lost you a star. That was your fault, Ricardo, for going on so much, wasn't it? <laughs> I think a great idea for a true five-star rating podcast would be to give Farmer Phil his own podcast. <gasps> well, we've, we've suggested oh, it. good Lord. The Lower Blakemere Farm Podcast, or the FPP. Farmer Phil Podcast would do the trick. I think he's a great ambassador for the agriculture sector. Oh,
2: Oh, He's what a
1: boy. Yeah, yeah. And I, for one, would be a keen follower of such a podcast. Anyway, keep up the fantastic words. You guys are really doing a fantastic job, Anthony. Well, thank you very much indeed Uh, for uh, that, Anthony. (laughs) Oh, yes, Phil. Thank you very much indeed. Just one minute.
0: And where do I feature in it?
1: Um, I'm sorry to tell you that apart from in general... (laughs) Presumably being included in the phrase "you guys," you don't.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Anthony and Amanda. I hope you enjoyed the Terry Tips last week. And uh, next review, perhaps you could mention me, 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 me. Oh, only oh, joking. Right then, Ricardo. What I want to know about is veggie plots. Right now,
2: so all ours are going out now. Then you say all, all our all the veggie ones plots, are plots, heading yeah. out to various places all over the country, yeah? yeah for they folks come to start from planting Cornwall, yeah.
0: and off they go all over the place, as yeah. you know, yeah. to be planted up. Right. I mean, we've done growing from seed, you've nursed me through this period, haven't uh-huh. you, grown uh-huh. from seed, those oh, so. lettuce leaves and things, I've yeah. had a lot of fun with those. Good. And I didn't know that seeds were such different shapes. Mm. Marigolds are spikes.
2: Oh, I suppose they are, yeah, yeah. Salsify that I planted last year, they're ridiculously long grass-like seed you know mm. huge great big spiky thing
0: but anyway these will come as plugs right so what i want to know is i want Could that to be know,
2: 13 amp or 5 amp <laughs> uh, well.
0: i want to know so your plot arrives on thursday yeah you're at home you can't plant it until saturday right and your beds are dug over but not particularly ready what do I have to do
2: well, they, to make those they, um, plants
0: grow like mad?
2: Water is, uh, is a key thing, really, with plants. You know, I, so the more I think about gardening, the more I talk about gardening, the more I think how ridiculously easy gardening is. It is so easy... That anybody could do it and it's just to make it complicated as I've heard some some speakers um, do so in the past is, is obscene really because it's so straightforward and, that, and planting plugs is, is, is really uh, taking it to another level in terms of straightforwardness. So you get your plugs right and you quite literally put them in the soil, firm the soil around the roots and water liberally and that will uh, set them off in good stead.
0: And generally spacing wise is there so a It rule? depends
2: what you've got the idea is to sort of visualise how big that plant's going to turn out Yeah. Right? so if you've got a purple sprouting plant for instance then it's going to have a span of probably 18 inches something like that ultimately so you'd want to put that um, as far apart from its chum as it, as it needs in order to fulfil that kind of dimensions. If you've got a lettuce, right, bog standard cut and come again lettuce, it would have a span of say, I don't know Eight inches? Something like that. Yep. So then you'd think, well, you get your little lettuce plants and quite literally plant them six or eight inches apart. That'll be absolutely fine. It doesn't matter if lettuce compacts against its neighbour too much, you know. Equally, if you're prone to mega slug attack, it's worth having space around your plants because if they are really close together and there's quite a lot of contact, then all those little mollusks can spend more time munching because they're better protected from the elements and the warmth, of the sun and things like that.
0: So I've gone out into my garden, I've worked it down into a reasonably fine till, I've planted my plug plants, I've watered them. Yeah. I will have spent a bit of money on this, so it's yeah. not like a seed where it's cost me no. you know, a tenth of a pence or something. Right. It's significant, isn't it? It's, it's so I need to make sure that I do Everyone's harvest a yeah. the crop. Everything.
2: Yeah. And actually, so, you, you, know, you, should, you should really, every single plant that you receive in the form of a plug plant... Should mature into a reasonably sized thing to harvest from.
0: But I'm a beginner. Right. So, what am I looking out for? So, I go and water regularly, that's easy. Yep. And I don't water when it's really sunny, because you've already told me that. Uh, no, you, can, you
2: could water when it's really sunny. Right. But the, 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 it's not going to harm the plant in any way, but it's, it's counterproductive in, in the sense that it, the more water is going to evaporate. Right. So, you will have to water less if you water at the end of the day where <clears throat> the water has time to sink into the soil and be taken up by the roots rather than be evaporated by the, by the strong sun during the day. Yeah. So it makes sense to water at the end of the day, but you but, can water. In the but what I've
0: found in the past is, it's all going quite well. I'm dreaming along and watering a bit of this and that. Yeah. And I wake up one day and the whole thing has been eaten. Right. And I think, oh...
2: It's a funny thing, you know. I, I, you know, I go around and I look at and I see various gardens and I and I, you know, mingle with various people that garden and and I often see people with their little slug pellets in their pots and things like that. I look at them and I think you don't need those slug pellets. My garden, right, is situated in in a field essentially, isn't it? You know, you've seen it's on the edge of a field and it's on in a field, and I've never ever used slug pellets ever. And, I've ne- and i swear on my life that i would never use slope i've ne- i've just never even thought about it you know and yes i do get some slope predation but it's not a problem it's not a problem in terms of of the quantities that i can harvest you know we get as many vegetables as we need and salads right through the year and more so plenty to freeze and the like and i would just amazes you know, amazing do you me. Do i do just find it quite frustrating really i think Girl, why do you know why do folks need to why do they think they need to do it because it's just impoverishing their environment by using them. It's just—I do find it frustrating. I never say anything because you know you kind of. It must vary like according joints, to
1: your soil type, and also you can—if you're not going to use slug bait, you can use sacrificial plants, can't you? If there's you lots. Plant, of, I
2: mean, there's loads of different ways to deter slugs. Actually, one of the best ways to deter slugs is to use a raised bed. You know. I mean the raised bed, the predation that you get out here in the raised beds. that are out in the wiggly garden. And is that because the, the they can't
0: climb up? Hill?
2: Negligible, really. It's not that they can't climb up hill, but it makes life difficult for them. They have fewer places to hide and take refuge during the daytime. I'd
1: imagine uh, you get a better soil structure that it's firmer, and they can't move around. They need to move around in the soil to breed successfully.
2: Yeah, and well, And that's they do the problem with the in slugs the soil, in they're the,
1: the they're agricultural in. situation is that it's quite difficult to get the ground firm enough. To stop them doing that which is where we have to resort to slug pellets. in a raised bed you can get a nice firm seed bed they can't move around as quickly you've got a finite area so that you can pick them off yeah because that fairly obviously stops them breeding as well and also, if you use something like Nemo slug or a slug trap, you know, a physical yep. slug trap, again, because it's a finite area, you're not trying to catch slugs from far and wide. You only pr- need to protect a smallish
2: area. Yep. So on the All basis- those things were absolutely great. You know, Nemo slugs, you know, the wiggle-away nematodes, the slug X traps, you know, using barriers like... You just mix it up, you know, use, all, use your imaginations, be creative. You know, Don't put... Slug pellets on the garden. You know, I just, I just cannot believe that gardeners need to do it. I don't. It just
0: makes you cross.
2: I find it upsetting. Yes. You know.
0: I think you're. It shows.
2: It shows a lack of integrity. I think. I appreciate that. I will almost certainly have insulted thousands of people. (laughs) Well, I've said that. Well, don't let that put you up. You know, just pull your socks up. You know, you don't need to do it. Why do you want to compromise your environment, but certainly the the environment for all the other creatures around you? You know, it's just ultimately you're making a rod for your own back.
0: You're an evil person. (laughs) Bad, bad, evil, evil person. You just need to get a life.
2: But before before we finish, well, it's in my head. You're watering, right? Yes. Now, the key with watering is lots of folks... Don't water, and I don't water very often. The key to watering, really, is when it is when it is dry and when plants are really struggling, you know, is to water, saturate your raised beds rather than water frequently. Water occasionally and plentifully rather than frequently and half-heartedly.
0: But is there anything else, Rich? You know, oh, I listen to Gardeners' Question Time. Do you? Well, it's on a Sunday, you see, and it's after just a minute. And and the thing is, it's all so complicated, you know, feeding stuff, you know, like tomatoes and doing this and that. And I just think, oh, what happens is I can't remember the information... And so it puts me off actually right. doing
2: anything. I'll tell you what, it's a funny thing, you know. I listened; I was listening to, it was probably Radio 4 or something, and I was listening to one commentator, I won't say who it was, and Go they on. were talking about... No, I won't say who it was. It, it, not, well, I tried to get an interview with that person, so I won't insult them before I do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but equally, the, um, the, 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 she was talking about growing tomatoes, and, and I've never heard anything so uh, obscenely complicated in all my life. You mm. know, tomatoes are a piece of cake to grow growing them outside it, it can be difficult but only because of our weather if you've got a greenhouse then all a the tomato really needs is good stuff around its roots so uh, you know a nice uh, nutritious compost around its roots plenty of moisture and, and possibly feeding once a week when it starts to fruit uh, well, so if you've, got, if you've got if you've got your with. worm pee so all ah. you need to do is tap off a bit of worm pee in your watering can, feed it once a week, jobs are good. But actually, to be perfectly honest, you will get probably get fewer tomatoes if you don't feed, but you will still get tomatoes even if you don't feed, as long as your compost is good.
0: Well, what a relief.
2: It's probably true to say also, Rich, that if you have, grow it so you have fewer
1: tomatoes, they will tend to be sweeter. If you have a, a large crop of tomatoes yeah. or
2: anything else off a plant, you dilute the taste. Well, doesn't that smack of everything, you yeah. know, it's, 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 it's the way it is, I and mean, that's why tomatoes, in fact, tomatoes grown outside are invariably more tasty than tomatoes grown in greenhouses as well, because the, the plant has got access to different types of nutrients, grows in a slightly different way, the fruits take slightly longer to develop, but they're sweeter and tastier. But Rich, um,
0: you told me to put my tomatoes in the greenhouse, so should I put them out
2: in a minute? Uh, no, don't put them out yet, that's the other thing. Because oh. <laughs> oh. uh, you don't want to put oh. anything out uh, really pointing. until the end of May. Right. Um, um, because the tomatoes are particularly susceptible to frost chances are you know we might get a bit of a cold snap Well, it's quite lucky i mean this is the thing you see at the moment it's really tempting isn't it to put your tomatoes outside because oh, it's, it's beautiful. It is stunning and it's not cold you know because i've been wandering around three o'clock every morning for the last time thinking, think it's oh, all right out here you know can't wait till the summer <laughs> at least you and, uh, had your clothes on yeah i've been fully clad certainly uh, but um if you've got a greenhouse, then it makes sense to grow tomatoes in your greenhouse as well as a few outside, because at least you're sure you're going to get some tomatoes. If we have a crap summer, again, then there's no guarantee that if you're growing tomatoes outside, you'll get any. Unfortunately, I haven't got a greenhouse, because I, uh, I, I told you I sold yeah. the thing a few years ago. But yeah. <laughs> my project next uh, summer, one of them next summer, is to build a greenhouse.
0: Now, for those gardeners who are complete beginners and are thinking about a greenhouse... And you've heard all the talk about cleaning it out and how difficult it is and the windows and the doors and everything about it. And it's all so difficult. Now, I am a very new greenhouse person and I can tell you exactly why you must get one. And that is this. You go out in the garden, you get a bit cold and you've got your flask. And then you go in your greenhouse and you sit in there doing absolutely nothing. And you boil, and it's just like being oh on holiday. No. It's my new holiday. <laughs> How event. old is
1: she's going to have a bottle of sherry in there next, <laughs> isn't she? It's <laughs>
0: fantastic, <laughs> and I think I hope nobody's going by because they're seeing me. So Sitting in there. You'll
2: have a big yes. cooking.
0: Feeling
2: hot. You a you big bottle of uh, cooking sherry yeah. yeah, in there. That'll be you need to Yeah, well, it's a, it is a, it's, well, I suppose it's the same principle that folks have... Uh, I remember mean, has got a summer room, you know, where it's all kind of yes, piled. Yes, greenhouses and are always thing.
0: made out to be it's this. A, it, you know, hot. Oh, it's, and, I mean, I remember going to my Uncle Bill's and it was all so complicated. There was this heater and this nozzle and this compost and this thing. Well, just have one if you've got the chance, because you can get hot in it. It's like just like going on holiday at home. Here I'm, we glad, are.
2: I'm glad you've, you've, you've got into your greenhouse as, as well as <laughs> and you have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And so here we have the latest. Well, actually, okay. this was a, a couple of weeks ago.
2: Another little, another review. This is uh, gardening, farming, and more with a wiggle.
0: How many My stars, Rich?
2: Ashtonite. Five stars, good. Yes, eat your heart out, Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) This is my favourite podcast as it makes me laugh, but is also very informative. A lifetime country dweller and previous young farmer, I have Mm. to say, I have learnt more about farming from listening to the Wiggly Podcast than anything else. Well, that's more of an attribute to Farmer Phil than uh, than either you or I have, I think, possibly. The gardening information is great too and always inspires me to go out and get digging. I listen on my iPod while at the stable and Heather, Ricardo, Farmer Phil and the others really make you feel part of the team. Great facts from Monty too. Have a listen, but I warn you, it's addictive. Fab. Ash tonight. One more. Oh, another one here. This is a uh, cliffhanger, eh? OK, and that's got well, almost look like six stars in there, but it, it is two-star. <laughs> well, it could be. You'd have to make know.
1: up for Anthony then, wouldn't it?
2: Hoping shopkeeper.
0: Oh, I think this is Christine Hope. From hopes, at long time. Uh, doesn't yeah. say that, but
2: no, no, but it's. it's,
0: uh, yeah. it's, it's
2: I think it's, it. a, it's a good it's guess. It's a fair. It it's a fair me. assumption. Yeah. I think so. Anyway, so Christine,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we found you out.
2: Yeah, yeah. I love this podcast, and the title music gently lifts me into a different world. The show is light-hearted, and Heather's giggle is a corker.
0: This minute,
2: oh! oh, oh. But the topics are real <laughs> and deadly serious. Sadly, just Both. like any good soap, the current cliffhanger 176 has got me gripped. Let's hope Farmer Phil wins his battle to prove justice can prevail.
0: Oh, that was the great. So, presumably, it was a sweet scenario. Wheat. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And uh, did you get it back in the end? Did it come back in the end? Or? They agreed that I was right
1: and that they have paid all expenses, and we've got fingers crossed because actually, this very morning. They've taken the fifth load of that contract, and I'm going to be very interested to see what happens when it gets there.
2: Well done.
0: Warms the cockles of your heart. I've had two special invites. I'm off to Hertfordshire Agricultural Society Food and Farming Debate on the 22nd of May, so next week. And there is a formidable panel consisting of Anthony Gibson, past National Farmers Union Head of Communications, me... Clarissa Dixon Wright. Alright. Oh, I'm very pleased about that. She's a chef. Well, I suppose she would be called a celebrity chef, would she?
2: Oh, I guess. I don't sure whether she'd depreciate being called a celebrity chef. She's more mm. of a kind of a country woman, I think, possibly.
0: Absolutely. Mm. Chris B- Brown, who is the head of ethical and sustainable purchasing for ASDA. <laughs> Do Great. those go together? Uh, Anyway, he's a, I'm sure he's a very nice chap. I've met him before. Uh, that's Walmart, of course. And Guy Smith, who is very famous in agricultural world.
1: He farms the driest farm in the UK.
0: He does, and he's part of the NFU, and he's done a lot of, for communications in farming. And he is chairing the proceedings. He's
1: also the driest farm in the UK. An award-winning journalist.
0: Yes, where's the, the driest farm in the he UK? He
1: farms in Essex on the coast. There oh. we
0: are. And my second invite is, I'm really pleased about this one. Having not been to university, as we know, I've been invited to summer school at the Royal Agricultural College. I'm a speaker and the lunch to start it off is at Highgrove, hosted by... Charlie Boy. Ah, there I'm really are. pleased.
2: How the you a half lift?
0: Hey? Oh, nice. I'll be able to go to the toilet again. <laughs> and think about what my mum would think about me being in Toilet High Grove, so I can't wait for that. <laughs> um, uh, hey garden, Rich, it's coming up next week. Are we ready?
2: Uh, yes, I think we're definitely ready, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a problem then, when, you, when you shook your head.
0: We are (laughs) ready, Richard. The Hay
2: Garden is uh, (laughs) is going to be... If we're ready, uh, Rich, that'll be a first for you. Superb this year.
0: Superb. I was born
2: ready, Phil. I was born (laughs) ready. Now, I saw Jodie this morning, actually, uh, and she's uh, definitely on the case for the big plant up. So, of course, we've got our lovely little uh, uh, marshy area, or should we call it moisture retentive area, because... uh, am um, not supposed to... Are we supposed to have a marshy area? Oh, now, we mustn't
0: no have standing water at Hay Festival. No. So, there so will be no standing, so standing water standing at Hay <laughs> Festival <laughs> <laughs> on our garden, but right. everywhere else say, will be uh, flooded. Uh, right.
1: Was it last yeah. year that they were canoeing down they, the car park yeah, They or not? seriously
0: yeah. did ban us from having a pond, despite the fact that our... Garden was the only place that didn't have a pond, because <laughs> the whole showground was a pond. Uh, it was a pond, But yeah. we'd also yeah. like to say thank you very, very much to Jules. Jules Clothing are the, well, they're a mail-order company that do lovely clothes, and uh, they do wellies. Yep. And they've given us 120 wellies. I can't find a pair, you know. Cannot find a pair. All, <laughs> they all left? They're all odd. They're odd. Um, uh, I mean, to plant it, up it, so it that, so I, I've a
1: got some odd wellies, so yeah. perhaps we, you know.
0: But the idea came because the <laughs> festival folks wanted people to be able to walk on our garden, and I was very much against that, because you know, a 100,000 people go, and we wouldn't have a garden left.: no. So we came up with the idea of having wellies walking on the garden, and so Jody has kindly planted them up with veggies, bee plants, wildflowers and oh, all sorts.:
1: Tomatoes of Tomatoes. tomatoes, yes. Uh,
0: yeah. uh, so hay coming up next week. Uh, I think that's all from us, isn't it?
2: I think we've, uh, we've covered a lot of ground in this yeah, episode. Yeah,
0: we have. Welcome to Betty TV, who are coming here to film The Dream Farm. There's two lasses from Kent that want to grow some flowers, and they want to know how Wiggly Wigglers put their bouquets together. So uh, you'll see us on Betty TV. It's with Monty Don very soon. Very good. And good luck to Ros Savage who is just about to get in her little boat.
1: It's quite a big boat, isn't it? For a little person to row the distance she rows it, it seems enormous to me but yeah. she seems quite happy with the idea. I know, I bet she's got some stamina, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Steady. <laughs> she has an altogether doubtful effect on you, doesn't she?
0: Good luck to Ros Savage, the oceanic rower who is about to go on the leg from Hawaii to Tuvalu on the second leg of her Trans-Pacific row.
1: Which, when she's completed it, will make her the first woman to have rowed the Pacific.
0: Wow. Rock on, Ros. Good old Ros. Good luck, Ros. Row, Ros, row. So, from our... 181 well, yeah. episode. It's goodbye.
1: Bye from me too. And it's bye from me.
0: Bye.